Hello, welcome to the Plus Future podcast with me, James Nepal Singh. Join me as I coach Judah Armani. Judah describes himself as a person who makes things with others. I met him whilst I was studying at the Royal College of Art, where he is the head of the Social Impact Challenge Lab. He was recently awarded the 2022 Samisha Black Award for Innovation in Design Education. As usual, I set out the coaching ground rules before the recording. Let's get right in. So Judah, welcome to the Plus Future podcast. For the people at home who don't know who you are, could you just explain a bit about yourself, please? Thank you for inviting me and thank you for that welcome. My name is Judah and I spend a chunk of my time in academia teaching design and a chunk of my time in the world applying that design to issues of social challenging narratives. Excellent. So what bump in the road can I help you with today, Judah? Well, foolishly or not, about 16 years ago or 17 years ago, I decided to have a three decade plan and I was really clear about I wanted to do a decade in homelessness and a decade in the criminal justice system. And then the third one was a bit fuzzy. And initially it was, I wanted to work with families in challenging circumstances and then maybe education and then health. So having done a decade in homelessness and worked with amazing communities in homelessness and applied design thinking there and in the criminal justice system, I'm aware and have been growing, growingly aware that as my decade comes to an end in a f- three and a half, four years time, that I usually start exploring what the next one is be a year before I start. And I'm not really sure what to do. And I've never been in that situation for almost 20 years. Just to clarify what you said, 30 years ago, you set up a 30-year plan and you have 10-year chunks. The first was homelessness, the second was the criminal justice system, and the third was, say, family education. You've done the first two chunks. You seem to be very successful from what I've seen in the newspapers and press releases, so congratulations on all of your achievements. And congratulations for actually having a plan and seeing it through as well. The bump in the road that you'd like to talk about today is what to do next for the 10 years that are coming in up in three years' time? Yeah, correct. Okay, so what, what's going on in your life now then, Judah? Lots of criminal justice, which is good. So that started in prisons, but now it's a lot more around probation and always looking to collaborate with people in those spaces to create portfolio of initiatives that can bring about some change, usually marginal, but you add lots of marginal things together. So that's probably been my focus for the last six, six and a half years with lecturing and lecturing about that both in UK and and then talking about that in the US. And working in the prison space, probations and have collaborations with various people there and your teaching as well. And you've done that for the last six and a half years. What's the driver for suddenly, or not suddenly, what's the driver for wanting a change? Well, that's a good question. Who's to say that I need to change tact? You know, it, like I say, it, maybe it was foolish, but 17 and a half years ago, created this three-decade plan thinking it was a good thing. Maybe, maybe actually 
it's not. And maybe I just need to continue with what I'm doing right now and see where that takes me. The driver for making the plan was an opinion, not a realization, but an opinion that I wanted to embed within communities. And that if I was to continue operating as a designer in the way that I was exploring, that I would have a really broad and diverse knowledge base working in a range of different projects and actually be super hireable and like really a designer that has that typical breadth of project diversity. But the clock speed of change for the phenomenons that we're working in, whether that's homelessness or prison, is way, way, way too fast for a project to ever catch up with it. The moment you start doing some research and let's say it's a one-year project, at the end of that one year, some of that research is just not fit for purpose anymore because society moves, right? So there was this theory, this, this hypothesis that if I embed in communities, then actually that allows me to work on projects that are very quick because instead of going through a research phase, I'm just culturally soaking it up, right? So, you know, that might mean doing work in, in those communities that has got nothing to do with design, like run a homeless charity or, you know, teach English at a prison. So like, you know, you, you do those things to embed. But the idea being is that I knew that I would be a very undynamic designer in terms of there's going to be people like probably 99% of the designers out there in the world are going to be, have more diverse skills than me and are able to like suddenly apply their skills into fintech, into healthcare, into a whole range of different areas. Whereas actually, you know, my specialist is so small and so niche and so unhirable that I knew that it would prevent me from having that kind of typical career path. But on the flip side, I was doubling down. I was betting everything I had in that Vegas casino of life and saying, actually, if I, if I can just embed in three areas, I think that will be more important for creating change because I will have 30 years of understanding of three different cultures. And I was really clear about homelessness and criminal justice system. And that third one got a bit fuzzy. So I guess the driver for change ultimately was change. The driver was, I wanted to be able to create more change, but, and I felt like I love threes, threes are a good number. So I felt three areas that interact with each other could be really valuable, important. And also it's become apparent to me that that's a, I'm going backwards in time. So Homelessness is a symptom of many things, but one of the things it's a symptom of is somebody that might leave prison that can't actually have a house. And then if I explore education or the lack of it can lead to a whole different lifestyle that might lead to prison, but then might lead to homelessness. So I couldn't help feeling that actually the more I was going into these decades, the further back I was actually reaching in time and the more closer I was going to a, a preventative mode than an intervention mode. You strike me as having amazing foresight and self-awareness, even from a younger age, to actually notice these niches and gaps. To actually say, I need to be diverse. That was the first one. And the second one is the speed of change as well. So the solutions that you came up with are, 
I need to embed myself in communities, three diverse communities. One's the homeless community and the second one's the prison one. Third one's slightly fuzzy. I'll work that out when it comes. And the second one is to be a competitive designer. Once you've done the research, it's already obsolete. So if you embed yourself within these communities, you're already there, you're soaking it up. So there's no catch up time there. And the space you're in now, you said you've kind of regressed. Maybe regressed is the wrong word, but you used the, what, used the word preventative. So it's almost like you're seeking solutions before the problems happened. And you've, you've had almost 20 years of experience to actually come to that realization. To your first point, self-aware, certainly not at a young age, actually not even at an adult age and probably not even in my 30s or, or even my early 40s. So I think it took a long time to get to, to the space that I'm in now. And maybe, maybe that was also, I was just thinking about your question, maybe that's also part of that driver. So what was a driver for change? Yes, I had a 30-year plan, but why did I have a 30-year plan? Because I wanted to do something significant, not, not be significant, actually, because I'm not even the star of my own show. And there is a, a real insignificance in my being, but that feels significant to know that. But I wanted to be able to be part or contribute to something significant. And that's partly because I just felt like the first chunk of my life, I wasn't doing that in, in a positive way. If you can go back to your past self when you were making that plan, what would you say to that person? My past self was probably in a good place. I, I, we would probably sit down and have a cup of tea and we'd get on. But if I, if I was to go back probably four years before then we'd be in a very different place. And, you know, I'd find it very difficult to get on with that person. What would you say to the person, not the four years before, but the actual person who was in the right space and you have a cup of tea with them? When they're saying, these are my goals, how effective have your goals been? How have you realised them? What would you say to the person then? Well, I'd say, keep going with that. I think there's... um, The goals have never been anywhere near as, like, um, amazing as the process in both of those things. And it's the process could never have been understood, anticipated or even learned beforehand. So it had to have been, that's like the wardrobe in Narnia, right? You had to go through it. No one's going to believe you to say that there's another world beyond that. And so I would imagine me saying, look, you've got to go through this. You might doubt it. You have to do it. And I can't really tell you more than the fact that you just have to do it. So imagine after this conversation, you're going to have another cup of tea now, but with you 10 years in the future, what would that person say to you now? And what I would say to them or what they'd say to me, keep changing, keep changing, keep improving, keep being grateful, keep reflecting, keep being humble if you can, and definitely keep being honest in terms of me personally. And then in terms of me externally, hold on to like there's a there's a writer called Richard Sennett that has written loads of loads of books um, I'm just looking around to my bookshop but the craftsman and together and a whole range of other things but there's something around his writing that is I mean you get people that when you listen to their films or when you watch their films or listen to their music or read their books there are some authors or directors or film or mus- musicians 
that you feel are writing just for you or that you understand their language, right? And you're like, oh, this is it's my language. And Senate is one, Dickens is another. But when Senate was writing The Craftsman, there was something in that that really spoke to me about, actually, if you make something really well and you dedicate your life to making things really well, you're going to be happy. And if I can make things with others really well, then we'll all get happy and we'll all actually make really good things. So I would hope that the person that I'd be having a, and I don't even know if it would be a cup of tea in 10 years, it might be something, who knows, what new way we've got of socially interacting after our high street stops selling stuff anymore and wherever we'll be meeting. I'd hope that they would say, just keep making things well with others. So, you know, probably more emotive and romantic, I, I think, more than that, more than actually giving me any deep sound advice. The future self's touching on two things, the internal you, so be humble and almost love yourself almost. And then in the future, keep making things. Because if you make good things with good people, everyone's going to be happy. And you referenced Senate there and you said he's one of the writers that it feels like he's speaking to you personally. With all that in mind as the backdrop, and you've got this new Narnia wardrobe in front of you now, what options for the, the other world that you're going to go through do you have? As in the options for the next decade. So there's definitely education, which seems to be quite an, an obvious one. And maybe it was the one that I first went with. So instinctively, I feel like maybe I should just stick with that. There's a zoomed out version of that, which is working with families in challenging circumstances, which that feels really um, more scattered. Whereas the previous two, I knew where to find my tribe. And with education, I'll know where to find my tribe. Families in challenging circumstances, that, that tribe doesn't have like an institution or a place that brings me together. So that would be difficult. And then healthcare, but healthcare at the, at the blunt end of healthcare. So not the cutting edge future tech, but the, I guess, yeah, someone in communities in challenging circumstances that find it difficult to access healthcare. So there are those areas, and I can't seem to clearly see what that path looks like. Education, you've got your tribe there, you know it well. Families under challenging circumstances, there's no institution in place, you don't know where that tribe is. And healthcare, you mentioned the blunt end of that, so where something's a bit more challenging, but you haven't really got visibility or clarity on which one to go to, or even if these are the right ones for you. You mentioned preventative things before. To what extent can you relate this regression? I keep saying regression, but it's more like progression, I think, to this preventative stage of providing solutions for society. To what extent could you fit those three things within that philosophy? I suppose, well, I mean, like to, to all three, but but understanding sort of the the borders and the boundaries for those three would mean that the biggest scope would probably be with families in challenging circumstances, primarily because the other two have their tenants locked in institutions. So in education, we're talking about an institution that hasn't really shifted the phenomena of learning since the second industrial revolution. And then 
in terms of healthcare, certainly for this country, it's it would not be a space that hasn't been explored before properly. And so that is would be, and also it's, you know, it's got a very complex web of how that money trickles down. And the scope for creating that preventative thing, I think, would be difficult in more difficult in healthcare than education. With families in challenging circumstances, part of the beauty, part of the challenge is that it's difficult to connect with them because there's no group community space. But that's part of the opportunity as well, because it's not institutionalized. So there's a space for doing something, but it comes with some complexities of like, I can't identify that tribe yet. Whereas, you know, in homelessness, in prisons, in probation, it's just been easier to meet those who are inspired to want to create something new and who are very much in those spaces. To what extent could you create an institution for these families? Well, anyone can create anything, but I think what what would be more interesting is actually, well, the challenge will be to just find enough and connect with enough within a neighbourhood to then see what they wanted to create and how they wanted to go about that. But that feels quite long form and it feels quite hard. (laughs) And also probably feels like more than it would be 10 years. So I could see that that as being something that you just dedicate the rest of your life for. You know, that's about living with a group of people. And whereas like I embed within those decades, because the institutions are there, it allows me to be able to operate on that on that space. But when there is no gathering space, then I become part of the gatherers. And so therefore it doesn't feel like I'd have we'd have to be holding that tension all the time. So you were saying you've not really thought about it before to this extent when I suggested that we scrap the idea of families. And when you said that, there was part of me that was like, no, but then there are proxies for those institutions. So whilst the institutions themselves don't gather, there will be places where families in challenging circumstances would gather around the stations of services that are offered or benefits that are offered. Or I wonder if it's all three. So actually, the places where families in challenging circumstances would normally dock into would be schools and healthcare, and they they become the proxies for those spaces. So what's less clear, I suppose, if I'm just, is that the the primary objective was always clear for the first two decades, reduce homelessness, if I can contribute towards that, and reduce the reoffending rate, if I can contribute towards that. This outcome is more vague. What outcome are you aiming for? What's the goal here? Maybe I kind of thought it it would have revealed itself by now. Maybe that's why the third decade was always fuzzy, because I just assumed the first two would sort of like illuminate that path. And there's still time, but maybe unfairly, I'm looking at three and a half years ahead and thinking, well, that path still hasn't like illuminated itself. So I'm not sure. Whereas the other two, it was really clear. I'm not sure what the outcome is. What's stopping you from formulating the outcome? Mm. I might be wrong on this, but I feel like that third, and uh, you know, I hope it won't be my final decade, <laughs> but I can carry on beyond that and do other stuff. But going back to your point about the cup of tea, 
One thing I probably would say to the person making that plan 17 years ago is society is, well, humans are complex, which makes societies complex, which makes binary outcomes quite difficult. And just over the last sort of 15, 16 years, I've become less convinced with the binary outcomes and more embracing of complexity and communities or neighborhoods actually being able to heal themselves as opposed to like a set a set directive so maybe that's also going on in the backstage is a reticence of not that i've always explored single solutions but just a reticence of having an outcome that yeah of exploring a single outcome i know i want things to be better and i know if that's part of like why education and healthcare could be problematic for a range of reasons is because actually I'll be using measuring indexes that already exist and they could have error in them. We could be measuring the wrong things. We could be asking the wrong questions and getting the right answers. How are you feeling now? This has been really great, actually. I'm feeling that even just by having this conversation with you, there's a lot more clarity about my ambiguity. It almost like, and this might sound crazy, but it's almost like the ambiguity is the point. The complexity is the point that it starts with a really clear idea of what I think can be done and is needed. But actually, like peace is so dissatisfyingly messy. There's nothing simple about peace. Experiencing a relationship, that's not easy to hold a relationship together. It takes, you know, war is so simple. It's binary. It's just clear. It's like hate, <laughs> you know, and there's a beauty in the complexity of peace. It's also tiring and it's relentless, but it is messy, but it's worth it. I mean, I believe it's worth it. That's, that's an assumption on my part. But So the question you're asking is that actually, if the outcome is peace, then I know that that's going to be really messy and not actually have an easy tribe to navigate or a clear pathway or an institution to dock into, but just complex. So how, how do I feel? I feel actually more, more empowered and more certain-ish of the third thing by its ambiguity. That makes complete sense. The way you described it to me was... Of your 30-year plan, the first 20 years were war. It's binary. There's a goal, stop homelessness or reduce homelessness, reduce the amount of offenders. Binary, you do it or you don't do it. What you're interested in, you keep going back to, when I, when I pushed you to say, should we scrap the idea, but you keep going back to it, is this family's issue, which the way you've described it sounds to be like peace, where it's complex and it's messy and it's non-binary. And for you, there seems to be a beauty in that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This was not what I was expecting on a Tuesday morning. You mentioned a pathway, though, to get into this ambiguity. So you can go back to the war that you're used to through institutions, the way you know there's a way in the healthcare section and also schools, the education section. So you can fall back on what you know just to get an inroad into these families. And it seems you, you don't know what that space is going to look like. It's almost like a research 
phase is a scoping exercise. And maybe you'll get a bit more clarity once you're there to see what the needs are. But from now you're so distanced from it all, you, you have no idea. So you don't know what's needed. Yeah, that makes sense. What are your next steps then? Well, I think this has been so helpful. But, and it also feels like there's just a, a little bit of a breakthrough as well. The first thing, so thank you for that. I think the first thing is to just live with it for a bit. Because what happened in the third decade was, was never really on my horizon for the first five years in the criminal justice system because I was just focusing on that. But it's gradually grown, partly because I know that a year before I start it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of start it mentally and explore it as I leave one decade. So one, one clear outcome is just actually to live with the fact that it could be messy and that it is and it can be vague and that's okay. And actually to make it more clean cut and simple like education is doing the very thing that when I started, it had the plan. It was because I knew that I wasn't going to have a typical career. I wasn't going to be a hireable designer because I won't have 30 years of experience working in all these different sectors. I'll have 30 years of experience working in three. And I knew that I didn't know, but I knew that it would make me not hireable. And I think by choosing education or healthcare, there's such obvious spaces to go. They're not unorthodox. I mean, homelessness to a degree was, criminal justice system definitely was. To then land for the last decade in like really well-trodden spaces where there are resources and there are there's lots of work that has gone and innovation that has been explored in healthcare, in education, kind of feels like the antithesis of what I started for 17 years ago. And if anything, to your point, I think you're right. It starts with some kind of certainty because I needed to start with some kind of understanding. But actually, it just makes sense for it to like unravel into complexity. You're going back to the old you having the cup of tea and seeing what that person wanted. And you wanted the ambiguity, it sounds like. You don't want things that have already been explored because that's already been done. You like the edges. But not, not because it's already been done, but because once someone's explored it, it will naturally have other people come and redo and redo. And so education, healthcare, there's lots of design industries that are locked into those spaces. And so actually, there's some awesomely smart people involved, much smarter than I, and I'm sure that they'll be able to like create really virtuous pathways. But the reason that I was attracted to homelessness and criminal justice is because no one was there. Or, sorry, that's not fair. In homelessness, there, there definitely were a few design operating in and around that. Within the criminal justice system, none in in actually working in the prisons with the guys in prison and so it wasn't about necessarily being the best or a trailblazer but it was almost about like lighting a fire and then hopefully if you light a fire then other designers will want to start populating that space so yeah you're right like it wouldn't make sense to develop those fire lighting skills and developing those campfires and bringing people to then end up in the last decade in a place that's so well populated. Mm. Maybe that's my subconscious 
part of me that's thinking actually exploring those areas might make me more hireable maybe one day instead of the fact that I'm so unhireable <laughs> and just accepting that fact. If I summarise where we got to today, we spoke about your 30-year plan, how the first 20 years had clarity there. There was vision, there was a goal. You either achieve it or you don't. It's binary. To use your, anal- your analogy, it's almost like war. The last 10 years were always a bit ambiguous and vague. And you've come to the realisation that there's beauty in that ambiguity. And you seek spaces where you are the original person who sets the fire and then attracts people to the light. Healthcare and education, that's already been done. The fire's already there. There's little impact. You can do it. So from now, you're going to sit with these thoughts and try to embrace the ambiguity. You've got time to do that. And there's clarity in the ambiguity. One thing I'll also invite you to do is question why you've you put yourself down. You've done it on a couple of occasions today. So you said you thought other people were better or more qualified than you, but then you were saying how great you've actually been, but it's almost like you've not recognised your greatness for actually starting these fires. And the second thing you said is that you're relatively unemployable when you clearly aren't because you've met me through the Royal College of Art, which is the number one world ranking art and design school in the world. So maybe question where that's coming from as well when you go and ponder what we've discussed today. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we finish? No, this has been awesome. Excellent. This is called the wizardry of coaching. You got mad magic wizardry skills. <laughs> I try. So thank you, Judah, for joining the Plus Feature podcast. Bless you. Thank you so much for having me. What a fascinating session that was. Judah appeared to have been grappling with ambiguity for some time, but when I presented him with the prospect of seeking a clearer path, he moved back towards the ambiguity. His aha moment was that this is where the universe is pulling him, and there's clarity and beauty within this space. This is a space where he sees himself making the most impact that his younger self was originally striving for. Please let me know what your thoughts are. I'm on my usual socials and I always respond. Until next time.